And you started off your question with Jane walking into the forest, Jane walking into a jungle in Tanzania. But let's just take a moment to acknowledge what an unusual moment that was for a young woman in her 20s to be walking into the jungles of Tanzania to be studying a species, chimpanzees, the first person to really study chimpanzees in the wild, that in and of itself is extraordinary. Welcome to The Possibus. The Possibus is a podcast collaboration between the Smithsonian Earth Optimism and Pelicanus. The Smithsonian Conservation Commons Earth Optimism Initiative is changing the conservation narrative from one that focuses on problems and perils to highlighting impactful solutions. By celebrating what's working in conservation, they seek to inspire action and move global community from a sense of loss to one of hope and finding solutions to save our planet. Pelicanus is a conservation-based collective in continuous wonder of the healing and encouragement that is possible on this planet and the people making it happen. We are committed to telling these stories and demonstrating optimism through science. Now in this partnership, we spotlight conservationists working with a possibilistic attitude for solution-based efforts to tackle the world's critical environmental struggles. We're attempting to reframe the narrative around conservation to show that conservation successes are possible through changes in attitude and implementation of intentional change. On today's episode of The Possibilist, we talk with Anna Rathman, the executive director of the Jane Goodall Institute. Jane Goodall Institute is a global community conservation organization that advances the vision and work of Dr. Jane Goodall. By protecting chimpanzees and inspiring people to conserve the natural world we all share, they improve the lives of people, animals, and the environment. They believe that everything is connected and everyone can make a difference. Thank you to Anna and her team for their time and excitement. Enjoy our conversation with her. Thank you so much for joining us on The Possibus. Just to get started here, can you introduce yourself, uh, who you are and who you work for, and we can get into all the programs after that. Absolutely. Hi, Austin. Thank you again so much for the opportunity to to be on this podcast. Um, I love your concept. I love your content. I love that you guys are bringing this kind of discussion um, out into the, the public sphere, and I think there's so much... Um, need for positive stories, for hopeful stories, and for really believing what what can be possible. So thank you for the opportunity to be on this. Um, My name is Anna Rathman. I have the great privilege and honor of being the executive director of the Jane Goodall Institute's U.S. office. Um, We are one of 26 offices around the world, which is wonderful, and it's provides this beautiful kind of global mosaic um, to Dr. Jane Goodall's work. And I'm very privileged to, to be a part of it all. I think that the first, it's a kind of a big question, you know, maybe difficult to answer, but how do we get from Jane Goodall walking into the forest of Tanzania to then 26 offices around the world to for all for saving great apes and educate, but educate people about these these issues and, and, and trying to expand from there. How does that, how does that even happen? Yeah. Well, I will say it happens because of Jane and you started off your question with Jane walking into the forest, Jane walking into a jungle in Tanzania, but let's just take a moment to acknowledge what an unusual moment that was for a young woman in her twenties 
to be walking into the jungles of Tanzania to be studying a species, chimpanzees, the first person to really study chimpanzees in the wild, that in and of itself is extraordinary. So if you start, if you start looking at Jane's journey of how did she even get to the point where she is walking into that, into that jungle um, and recognizing who she is, the way in which she views the world, this, this holistic approach to things, it's not surprising at all that her institute that proudly bears her name is one that encompasses the world, one in which, as I said earlier, 26 um, Jane Goodall institutes around the world are all working towards um, we were maintaining the longest running chimpanzee, wild chimpanzee research site in the world. That's Gombe. That's where she walked into the jungle. But then we're also um, managing large landscape-wide conservation initiatives throughout Central Africa. And then we have a, a program which Jane, it's very near and dear to Jane's heart. It's very near and dear to all of us who are at the Jane Goodall Institute, and that is Roots and Shoots, which is an empowerment project, um, a project that engages, we, we say, young people at all ages, because it's something where anyone at any stage of life can get engaged and, and look for ways in which they can personally and then collectively inspire positive impacts in their communities. So, to answer your question, how do we get how do we get to that where where Jane is having this kind of global impact, um, a positive global impact, and it's really looking at that individual who who made the decision to do something extraordinary with their lives, and that's that's continued. I recently, uh, it was I think it was in December, we went to the uh, the LA County Natural History Museum. Oh, and, great. And they have that new, I think it, at the time it was new, the Jane Goodall uh, exhibit, yeah. which got my mind blown because there were like holograms of Jane Goodall <laughs> pointing at things. It was, that was, that was pretty cool. But yeah, I think your, your idea to take it step back and, and point out who Jane Goodall is and the impact she had just by doing what she did. I, I think I just assumed like, oh, everyone knows, knows who Jane Goodall is, but I think you're right. I think we should like actually recognize how huge what she had, did and has done actually is. I learned a ton from that, uh, that exhibit, but there's just too much to keep in your head. <laughs> the, the, the best ways to kind of go, go down the list of, of what you guys do, and I'll just list them out really quick for what the Jane Goodall Institute does that in terms of programs. There's conservation science, advocacy, protecting chimps and other great apes, environmental education, healthy habitats, roots and shoots, as you mentioned, gender health and conservation, sustainable livelihoods, and then research. I think one of those programs could be an entire nonprofit on its own. <laughs> Can you kind of go through and just kind of talk a little bit about each one of those and or maybe like your 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 favorite strategic approaches? Well, first of all, let me say I'm so glad to hear that you had a chance to visit the Becoming Jane exhibition at um, our wonderful partners, the LA Natural History Museum. And it's actually that exhibition was put together in partnership with the Jane Goodall Institute and um, National Geographic, um, which Jane, of course, and National Geographic have had a, a long, multi, multi-decade um, relationship. 
Um, and, and so that's been a really wonderful and beautiful partnership. It's actually moving to um, Dallas. It will be at the Perot um, Museum in Dallas starting in um, a little bit later this year. So I'm so happy to hear that you, you saw that. You mentioned the holograms. Um, it's, it tells a really beautiful story again about Jane. And um, so many of our projects, really all of our projects and the evolution of the um, Institute itself follows Jane's own journey from um, becoming a scientist. She is a scientist um, supporting the research and having an organization that is founded upon good science and a desire to learn more and, and ask questions, continually ask questions. I mean, one of the attributes about Jane that is so distinctive that I think we can all admire, respect, and seek to emulate is her, her curiosity. And it's this insatiable curiosity. And that's, that's one of those things that I think all good scientists possess, but that really any individual can possess. That question, seeking to ask the questions of, well, why is something the way it is? Well, let's, let's go a step further and, and not being satisfied with, with an answer of that's just the way it is is of let's seek more. So as we look at the at the history and, and how the programs have evolved within the Jane Goodall Institute, um, it's important to keep that in mind of, of Jane's own journey as, as a scientist and then becoming an activist and getting more engaged in advocacy, um, both for for animals, for people, for the planet, all of our programs really mirror those kinds of, um, that evolution of, of Jane herself. So how it started, um, the Institute started in 1977 and it was founded in order to um, really provide support for Gombe, um, which is the longest chimpanzee um, research site in the world. That's where Jane did her seminal research. Um, then in 1986, Jane was invited to attend a conference in Chicago, and, and Jane frequently talks about this conference as um, one of those watershed moments in her life. Um, I think as we all reflect back on our lives, we can point to a couple of, of crossroads and, and, and moments where maybe it was a conversation Maybe it was a decision. Maybe it was an opportunity presented to us. But we can point to these points in our life where things changed. And for Jane, that was in 1987 at um, the Chicago Academy of Sciences. She was invited to a um, conference there to talk about um, chimpanzee conservation. And it was at that conference that Jane really credits that she stepped out of just viewing herself as, as a passive researcher or as a scientist. And she assumed the mantle of a conservationist, of an advocate um, for, for the animals and, and for the landscapes in which they live, which incorporate human communities. Um, so after, after that point, after the 1980s is when you start to see um, the Jane Goodall Institute really engaging in projects that are supporting large landscape-wide conservation initiatives and, and doing it in a holistic approach of, of recognizing that to save a species is a, is a small focus it's really more about what is that ecosystem? What is that community in which that species is a part of? And that's going to include people. That's going to include um, livelihoods. That's going to include reforestation efforts. Um, so it's going to have a very holistic approach. And 
that's where you start to see some of our, our projects. Um, we have uh, an approach that we at the Jane Goodall Institute call the Takare approach. It's take care. Um, and this is something where it's, it's commonplace now within the vernacular of the conservation community that we talk about community-centered conservation initiatives, right? We talk about engaging local stakeholders. We, we talk about those things as, as being a standard. At the time when the Jane Goodall Institute initially started its landscape-wide conservation, that was not the case, but it was always Jane's approach, is let's sit down together with the stakeholders, with the communities. Let's have conversations about what their needs are, what their livelihoods are, and let's, let's bring them along in the conversation of why is it important to protect a landscape that includes some remarkable wildlife. And um, so that Takari approach has always been a part of the Jane Goodall Institutes. And then of course, Roots and Shoots is really that forward looking, um, those, those ripple effects um, that happen when you engage young people, young people of all ages, um, when you engage them and, and creating positive impacts in their communities. It's, that's where Roots and Shoots came from. That's, that's where that evolution came from. And Roots and Shoots is one of these beautiful projects that much like Jane's whole approach is holistic, Roots and Shoots encourages that kind of cross-disciplinary holistic approach to problem solving problem identification and solving. So I couldn't help but think about we um, a little over about a year and a half ago now we talked with um, Dr. Gladys, Dr. Gladys Kalema Zikusoka out of Uganda. And people compare her or kind of call her the next Jane Goodall because she's doing very, very similar things with the uh, the gorillas in Uganda. And so one, the fact that someone as amazing as Dr. Gladys is saying the next of anything else, you know that anything else is someone as huge as Jane Goodall. And my mind immediately makes the connection there is it's two women leaders in conservation. And as you kind of mentioned with Jane Goodall, that was not, not really a thing. And the fact that they're we're kind of making that shift uh, as, you know, you, <laughs> we're talking to you right now. Uh, I, I find the, those two, th those two people are like perfect, perfect uh, uh, role models and, and examples of, of how we take that holistic approach and how successful it can be. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I'll come back to how you just ended that, how successful it can be. And that's, um, that's what's really beautiful about having long running projects is that you can try things and you can watch over, over years, over decades, what these successful approaches are. Um, engaging local stakeholders and, and local is kind of a subjective term because is local just the immediate community who's having interactions with the wildlife or is local the region? Is, is local that part of the world or, or um, you know, so that can be a very, subjective, but really looking to engage stakeholders, looking to um, answer the why it matters, that's so critical. And if you can speak, you know, Jane often talks about um, speaking to the head and to the heart, that you can argue um, a point and you can provide all kinds of substantiated data that's been peer reviewed and, oh my gosh, this is the best of the best. 
and you're really speaking to someone's head. But if you speak to that, why, why does it matter? Why are these landscapes important? Why are these populations of wildlife important? That's where you're going to start to see that kind of engagement where, where you can have that long-term success. And, and it's because of the engagement of local communities. It's because it's a lot of humility. It's, it's listening um, and approaching it in, in that way. I was lucky enough, I think it was 20, 2010, 2009, uh, Jane Goodall came to my undergraduate uh, university and I was able to see her, see her talk where she did the, the, you know, the, the chimp. The pant hoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The hooting. And I was just, I won't do it here because I want to blow everyone's. Uh, oh, I think you out. should. Yeah. I think <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll recommend people go see the exhibit, <laughs> they yeah. see, hear her do that. Um, and so much, even back then, so much of what she talked about um, is hope. And, you know, I think that's the name of her book. Uh, and I think that if I correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the podcast that she is now puts out is called Hopecast, which I wish I'd thought of that first. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so and maybe we can relate this to uh, the Roots and Shoots uh, uh, program, but, you know, what, and, you know, I'm not asking you to, to speak for Jane Goodall as a person, but uh, what is it about that, the, the idea of hope and through these programs that she uh, found so important and has been pushing so hard for decades? Yeah, um, well, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because um, hope is, that connective thread that runs through all of the work that we do at the Jane Goodall Institute. And it's really led by Jane herself and the approach to life that she has where hope is, is not, it's, it's a verb. Hope is a verb. Hope inspires action. Hope is the antidote to um, a passive kind of acceptance of of a challenge in front of us. Hope is what gets someone up and moving and believing that they can summit that mountain in front of us. Because in so many of these challenges, we see this in conservation, we see this um, throughout all aspects of our lives, um, challenges are complex. They're complex, they're complicated, they're you know, it's not clear what the solution is, but if you have hope, that's going to allow you to engage in a way that, um, that if you've, if you've lost that, you may as well throw in the towel. So for Jane, I think that again, um, it's something that she talks a lot about. It's, um, a title and a word that she uses and a theme that she uses often. You referenced, um, Jane's podcast, the hope cast, um, and that is really what that theme is about, of, of how can we look at these challenges that we are facing as a world, as a collective, and, and find um, hope and, and really seek to inspire one another. Because uh, there's the, the saying of misery loves company, but the flip side of that is hope is contagious. We're seeing that play out. In, in many parts of, of the world now, where if you can plant that seed of hope, that's what others need. That's, that's what others need to inspire courage. That's what others need to inspire engagement. 
And um, that's that's how Jane has always approached any any of her projects and and um, conservation initiatives. I was just thinking about this earlier, either today or yesterday. I don't, I'm not sure what I was listening to, but oh, it was Neil deGrasse Tyson on on something. He was talking about how, as a species, as any species, if we're if we focus on the negative and we focus on uh, threats on uh, bad things happening, focusing but also remembering. You survive as an individual and you survive as a species. But then thousands and thousands of years later, we still have that in, ingrained and wired into our brain. But now we're reaching this point in as a society, uh, either, you know, in any way you, you can think of that we actually need to kind of transcend that. And I think people like, like Jane Goodall and the programs that she's doing, uh, are just great examples of, of, of doing that. And that's what we try to focus on with these with people like the possible. They're actually thinking past, you know, oh no, where is there a line about to eat me? <laughs> right, right. And isn't that exciting? Isn't that an exciting place to be, to be able to think that way, to, to reframe our conversations around hope? And again, this is not something, and we, Jane says this all the time. So let me be very clear. Hope is not some just, you know, well, you know, let's hope it gets better. It, you know, it's not, it's not something that absolves us from a responsibility to engage. It is the catalyst by which we engage. It is that emotional hook by which we say it's worth my engagement because I'm hopeful that there will be a different outcome. And um, I think that's the really beautiful thing about the way that Jane approaches her work, the way her message to, to the world and all things surrounding this, hope is a verb. Hope is the catalyst to action. So, I would still be scared if a lion was chasing me though. Let me just say, you get <laughs> And that's example. where you appreciate yeah, you appreciate oh. the genetics that have you know been in your your body for thousands and thousands of years. That you're not like, hey, what's that coming at me? Like, you know, oh. to run or to hide or something. <laughs> Absolutely, anyone who's ever had an any experience with wildlife, but particularly any apex predators, realizes just how poorly equipped we are. <laughs> we are not fast. We're not. I mean, we can climb, but you know, not particularly quickly. Um, we have no armor and it's, um, yeah, it's, I, you know, I think we all still have that. We should keep that fear. Certainly. I, I completely agree. Um, so, you know, we kind of took that idea that, uh, what you mentioned with Jane Goodall with the, the hope as being the catalyst and work, we call it possibilism. Um, and that's based off of the Michael Soule quote where he, is asked, you know, am I optimistic or pessimistic about the future, you know, environment or whatever? And he says he's actually possibilistic. You know, if you put enough resources toward it, you can pretty much figure anything out. And so I think the basis of that is having that initial hope, because if, like you said, if there is no hope, that's kind of, it just ends. So it, that's the, where, where do you go next? So if you actually have to have that hope to then take action. And so I think, that idea of possibilism is exactly the same thing. So, you know, again, it's a made up word, uh, but how does that relate to the work that the Jane Goodall Institute is doing um, throughout the world, but, you know, specifically in the U.S.? 
Yeah, um, possibilism is a wonderful, wonderful word. And um, I love made up words. So <laughs> I think it's wonderful. I love, I mean, let's think about that for a moment. Possibilism is this idea of thinking of thinking what is possible and there wasn't a word for it, so you made one. I mean, how beautiful is that? If that doesn't exemplify possibilism, I don't know what does. So I love that. Um, our projects within the US, I know I've, I've mentioned um, about our large landscape conservation work and obviously our work with chimpanzees um, in, in the range in Central Africa. Um, the Jane Goodall Institute also has projects that um, engage and um, interact with the local communities in which we find ourselves, which for me is the United States. Um, I, I am one of 26 others. And so these programs are engaged around the world and it's really through Roots and Shoots. Um, and Roots and Shoots is where it allows uh, an entire community to be involved in a way that um, is, is beneficial to them. So. I spoke a little bit about Jane's approach to the conservation. We call it Takare approach. And that is working with local communities, listening to local communities. What are the priorities of that communities? What are the challenges of that communities? And then where are those opportunities? Um, Roots and Shoots is really follows that same model of empowering an individual to look at their own community, whatever, whatever the definition of, of community is, and look for a way in which they can have a positive impact. And that may look like a lot of different things. We have some of the most remarkable Roots and Shoots chapters all over the world. Um, in the US, it's, it's very active and they're engaged in everything um, from, uh, oh my goodness, from mangroves um, and doing uh, coastal restoration projects um, to honeybees to um, reforestation efforts, to local cleanups um, of, of water, waterways and, um, and rivers, and then bringing together people to, to learn and to share and to inspire one another. Um, it's really, really a beautiful project. And, and that's why it's, it's spreading these beautiful um, ripple effects of hope through each, each person who's involved and who interacts with them. Sounds to me like there's no, there's no limit, you know. <laughs> it started with chimps in Central Africa, but the tentacles was it 45 years later in the history of this uh, organization can now reach into you know wetlands in Southern California or the forests of the Sierra Nevada or anything. And so I think that's what's so cool is it's inspiring and empowering local communities wherever they're at. And unfortunately, <laughs> we do have environmental degradation kind of throughout the world, and especially in the US, um, that you could then empower those communities to then, you know, from the ground up, restore and uh, come together to protect their, their area, whatever that is. That's 100% right. And it's really celebrating that and celebrating um, that kind of action, that kind of possibilism, um, that kind of hope, it's celebrating it. Um, we, we are working with some communities, um, some Native American communities as well. And what's wonderful about working, and, and this is just in the US, we have our colleagues in, in other countries are working with First Nation um, in Canada and indigenous groups all around the world. 
And some of those projects are so beautiful because they are celebrating indigenous knowledge and indigenous culture and, and bringing that to the forefront and bringing that to a new generation and new audiences and ensuring that those traditions are staying alive as well. So it really is a broad way in which um, Jane's message of hope and engagement, um, the possibilism of, of a different future that we can all have and acknowledging and respecting um, the history that we all, we all are, are part of as well. So I'm just thinking, you know, who is Jane Goodall and who is and what is this organization and what's the relationship between such a charismatic conservation leader and an organization that is going forward because I mean we all know so many organizations that are they they have this visionary that is just full steam ahead and here we go um but there's varying levels of success and failure um and so it takes that extra thing that what I don't know what it is. is. Is it an X factor or can you speak to it directly? How are you able to take it from the charismatic leader that Jane is to the organization that you have today? No, that's a great question. That's a great question because there are so many examples of visionaries who, um, whether or not their name, sake organizations bear their names, but we're, we're behind them. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's a couple of things to say about that. First of all, um, Jane inspires all of us within the organization. Um, she is that kind of um, guiding philosophy and and um, and and source behind so much of our optimism and and the reason why we engage things. It's because of her approach. Um, how do you transition that into the future? You you keep learning from her. And, um, and that's what we're doing. And while Jane is, is in the world and inspiring all of us in the world, that is every day an opportunity to learn, to see something different, and to incorporate it into our way of working as an organization. Um, I know I am personally um, so grateful for the guidance that Jane gives me um, as part of the Jane Goodall Institute and, and the questions surrounding how should we approach something? What, you know, let's talk about these things. There are moments where I find myself pinching myself of having these kinds of conversations where I'm, I have an opportunity to learn from, from Jane and, and then to really impart that knowledge and manifest that knowledge through the Jane Goodall Institute's projects and programs. Um, but you brought up something which I thought was kind of interesting at the beginning of this question, which is who is Jane Goodall? Um, that's, I love that question. Um, and I love that question because I love hearing the answers when I ask it. And it's fascinating because as Jane's interests are multidimensional and as her approach is one that's holistic, um, so are the responses from people of who Jane Goodall is. And you will hear things like, you know, scientist. You will hear things like voice of the planet. You'll hear things like advocate. You know, you hear all the celebrity, you know, conservationists. You start to hear all of these different responses of who Jane is and who she represents in our world. 
And it's so beautiful because that is, again, part of this beautiful um, legacy of her work and, and her vision for conservation and for a brighter future for our planet. So who is Jane? I, I'd love to hear what you would say. Well, immediately my brain goes to the UN messenger of peace because that's very interesting. That's what I'm really curious about because I, you know, when I, when I look at my heroes, um, my conservation heroes, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired. I find that I'm inspired by two types of folks. Ones that are just single focused vision. Here's what we're doing. We're going forward, get out of my way. But then I'm also, I find myself drawn to those. I don't know how to describe it better than, um, those that are defined by their paradoxes. And so these folks that, you know, you think that there would be this, this, there's this incongruity between different interests and different focuses. And so for me, seeing how conservation has been for so long, natural resource allocation, that is how a lot of people would identify conservation. But then when there's this UN messenger of peace, that's not a paradox. That's not separate, but that is very different than natural resource allocation. And so how do those two come together and how, because there is a through line and I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that the through line is hope in this one, but what is that and how, how do those uh, two combine? And I'm curious about that. Yeah. Um, so again, I think that comes back to what I was saying, which I always find such a wonderful, wonderful um, conversation of who is Jane and, and hearing that. And I love that you zeroed in on, on her role as a UN messenger of peace. Um, how does that relate to conservation? I think it's in the definition of peace and, and peace being one that is not just um, between people, but peace that is one between a landscape and all of the interconnective parts of that landscape. Um, that's something, again, that Jane talks about when she was this young female scientist in the jungles observing these wild chimpanzee populations. One of the greatest awakenings, if you will, that she took out of that entire experience was really this profound respect and acknowledgement of the tapestry of life that in, in the jungle, you have this richness of biodiversity and you're seeing how each member, um, whether it's a plant, whether it's an animal, whether it's you know any aspect here is somehow interconnected in this web of life. And so viewing peace as something where you can acknowledge that, that it's not just an interspecies peace between two people and, and let's avoid conflict. And of course, for, for Jane, that's, you need to have peace in order to have prosperity and in order to, to be able to advance um, livelihoods. But it's also looking at peace in a, in a broader sense of, um, you know, what is it that our world needs in order for it to be the best manifestation that it can. It reminds me of, we, we interviewed uh, Dr. John Paul Rodriguez last summer, um, the head of the uh, IUCN Red List, among other things. And, um, you know, one of the things that he shared with us was that he's, uh, he truly, to the core of himself, believes that, you know, it is our generation, it is the people today that are going to fix 
our environmental problems, our environmental problems, our, our climate change and these kinds of things. And it's, it's with this idea of, of peace that underlines, underlies a lot of it. I don't want to say it's not common, but it's, it's a different perspective toward conservation and toward engaging with the natural world. Um, Right. And I'll use another word that um, we frequently hear in conservation and in land management, consumptive versus non-consumptive use. Right. And I would say that that that's part and parcel to this conversation that we're having here, um, because it's really about conflict versus peace and conflict being that consumptive use or conflict being, we talk a lot about, again, in in conservation, about human-wildlife conflict. And that happens. And you see that happen. We were speaking earlier about lions. And, um, you you know, that's, there's so many examples between human-wildlife conflict um, with all kinds of species. So looking at that word conflict and then what is what is the reverse of that? And, and that is this piece. Um, so how do we get to a place where we as the conservation community and we as, as a global community are really seeking to remove those conflicts so that there can be a more harmonious um, approach to, to our world in general? And that, that extends to our environments, that extends to our relationship with animals, and it extends to our relationship with one another. I'm really grateful for that because that is some of the academic that academic work that I did as well is understanding conservation, not as an extension of natural resource allocation, but conservation is rather an extension of social justice. And if we look at social justice, social justice as an extension of who we are as humans, as a humanitarian exercise, then you can see that through line where conservation is trying to understand how we can live with nature, not from a consumptive standpoint. And it's, it is, it's a paradigmatic shift a little bit. And it's one where if we can think that way, if Mm. we can, if we can engage in that form of thinking, it really does reframe a lot of these conversations that we have around conservation. And it allows for us to think that if that's the goal, Mm. how can we get there? And, And there's, there's, it's just a different approach that can really open up some doors and and some creative thinking that's exciting. I want to know uh, how did you personally become interested in conservation work? Because uh, I can't imagine you were like a hedge fund manager manager and like oh I mean let me let me uh, let me start working for the Jane Goodall Institute. I, I saw that you had almost a decade of experience with Nat Geo, but at some point there were some inspiration. Was that as a kid? Was there a role model? And why was it Jane Goodall? Oh, wow. What a great question, because this allows me to celebrate some um, wonderful, beautiful um, influences in my life for which I am so grateful. Um, I've had a couple of influences. How did I get my start um, in conservation? Well, I would say that it didn't start professionally. It started personally. Um, And I am the result of some wonderful, wonderful teachers some wonderful family members who encouraged myself, um, my brother, to get outside, to play outside, to explore, and to be curious, and to really approach our world as one 
big, beautiful um, question mark of why are things that way? And, and to have courage and confidence um, of going out into the wilderness. So I am very grateful for some influences in my life um, as a young person who did that. And, and that's one of the beautiful things. Again, when I think about um, the Roots and Shoots program, it's beautiful to think that that is facilitating those kinds of um, influences in people's lives too, because I, I know I certainly benefited from them. Um, I got my start professionally in conservation. I always say with the National Park Service, I had, um, it was, gosh, it was a lot of fun. It's an honor to say that um, I was a, a park ranger, national park ranger in Yellowstone. Um, so the first, the original um, Yellowstone National Park, I was a seasonal park ranger there. And that really gave me a, um, a strong uh, respect and appreciation for the complexities of large landscape-wide conservation, um, dealing with stakeholders when you're you're dealing with governments, you're dealing with private industry, you're dealing with the public, and as a park ranger, you are a representative of a of a much larger entity than yourself. And and so that that was really I'm I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, and then yeah, I found my way to to National Geographic. That was. That was amazing. Um, and I started off there doing research at Geographic for um, the Geography B. So like the spelling B, you know, this was the National Geographic Geography B. I actually won the Geography B when I was in elementary school. <laughs> so then, you know, it was coming full circle that I was getting to, to do research and fact checking for that. Um, and then I got to stick around. I got to stick around and and be at Geographic for for quite some time and interact and meet and know and be mentored by people who were heroes of mine. Um, and that was such a privilege where at, at some point, and I always say this when I'm talking about JGI and, and reflecting on things, at some point, I feel like I'm Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz you know, where like so she's had this like magical journey and and then suddenly she wakes up and she's just back in her bed in Kansas. At some point, that's going to be me. At some point, I'm going to wake up. This will have all been a dream. <laughs> and um, because it's really that working at Geographic was was a wonderful privilege. And also to see how you communicate science, that science does not need to be um, dumbed down. It doesn't need to be distilled down in order for it to be accessible. To, to a public audience. I think that was a really profound lesson um, that came through at Geographic. And, and then I found my way um, to, to working in conservation in Africa. And I was working in Kenya, Zimbabwe, and Botswana um, on some conservation projects there. And, and then um, now with the Jane Goodall Institute, it, it's such a pleasure because again, there's so much kind of overlap um, with Jane's relationship with National Geographic, with Jane's affinity and investments and um, uh, with, in Africa. It's, it's just such, such a privilege. I, I think Taylor feels like uh, Dorothy from Wizard of Oz a lot. I think he's just the, the sparkly red shoes that he likes to wear, but. <laughs> I support I that. I support that. <laughs> I don't know why I'm attacking him so much today. Can you tell that we're brothers? <laughs> I love uh, it. No, actually, I, I can relate to that feeling because it was just a few years ago. We, uh, you know, we just had this idea to just talk to 
you know, biologists. And, you know, most of the people we talked to at first were just our friends. And then now, you know, we're having conversations with people like you and John Paul Rodriguez. And we're like, you know, you know, obviously it's through a computer, but it, it, it's still uh, pretty mind blowing. So one of the ideas that we like to get across is that, you know, anyone can be involved in conservation. Absolutely. You don't, you don't, you don't have to be a wildlife biologist to save yeah. species. And yep. so along, I guess, you know, whether it's roots and, roots and shoots or any other program, um, how can people throughout the U.S. or throughout the world get involved with uh, their area, with the Jane Goodall Institute? You know, how can, how can they engage? I'm so happy that you're asking this question. Um, it's something that I talk a lot about with people and which is conservation is one of the most inclusive um, areas that you can work, that you can engage. In fact, you don't even have to work. You can just be a part of it um, in whatever way you can. And really any background, there is something that you can contribute. Um, whether you're coming from a medical profession, whether you're coming from a scientific perspective, an education perspective, there is so much that you can contribute to, to the field of conservation. How can people directly contribute or get engaged um, through the Jane Goodall Institute? Well, of course, you can always come to our website. I would also encourage um, you to start a Roots and Shoots group. Um, and Roots and Shoots groups, there it's a it's a very open um, invitation to anyone. Um, and it's something where we love hearing the outcomes of those groups and the positive impacts that those groups are having to change the world. So that would be my invitation of, of how to get involved is to start a Roots and Shoots chapter and, and become a part. And if you don't want to start one, join another one that's in existence, because my goodness, are there some really wonderful projects happening. Hannah Rathbun, thank you so much. Wow. That was fantastic. That was, what, was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you again, Austin. So appreciate um, the opportunity to share a little bit more. So thanks for reaching out. Thank you again to Anna and the Jane Goodall Institute. Please look into getting involved with any of their programs worldwide. Hosts and producers for this episode are Austin Parker and Taylor Parker. Producer is Kat Coots. Music was provided by a Picturebook Studios. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our page if you haven't already. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.